hand in my sport coat this morning, so I had to wear this. <laughs> if you would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, if you will. Luke chapter 2. Even if you have never read this passage of Scripture in your life, chances are you have heard it recited by Linus Van Pelt in a Charlie Brown Christmas. As the children prepare to put on a Christmas pageant, Charlie Brown asks, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? And Linus replies, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And then he proceeds to recite from the second chapter of Luke in the King James translation. And one of the more interesting aspects of the story in Luke 2 is the key role that the shepherds play in the drama. In children's Christmas pageants, the role of shepherd is usually just a step up from the role of sheep or donkey. But in fact, the shepherds are an absolutely essential part of what God is trying to communicate to us in the great eternal drama that is Christmas. So I invite you this morning, if you're able, to stand with me as I read from Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> I'm going to begin in verse 4 and read through verse 20. Caesar Augustus ordered the census, and it says there, beginning in verse 4, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. The, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told, about, told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you. Please be seated. <coughs> Only one baby 
in all of history was privileged to choose those who attended his birth. Jesus was able to do that, of course, because he was himself God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. And so he had the divine privilege and the status to be able to do that, to arrange the attendance at his birth, the first ones to arrive. And so he chose an interesting group of people. Not priests or rabbis, not princes or kings, not the wealthy, not the influential, but shepherds, field hands of all people. Why would Jesus arrange that shepherds attend to him at his birth? Well, in many ways, shepherds were the lowest rung of the social and religious ladder. Or at least they came to be viewed that way. They lived out in the fields for months at a time. So even if they didn't already smell like sheep, they would have been fairly aromatic anyway, I suspect. And out in the fields, they were isolated. They were off by themselves, isolated from family and isolated from the authorities as well. And that afforded them opportunities, opportunities to steal from their uh, employers and opportunities to steal from people in the nearby towns and make their escape back out into the fields. And so decent people wouldn't buy anything from shepherds because it was just assumed that it would be stolen. And they were prohibited from testifying in law courts because they were assumed, again, to be liars. And the work that they did with those sheep made it literally impossible to adhere to the ritual purity laws of Judaism. And so they weren't allowed inside synagogues. They weren't allowed inside the temple in Jerusalem. Dr. Jim Dennison says they were too dirty, impure, and sinful to come to God, so God came to them. God came to them. And isn't that what Christmas is really all about? God coming to us in human flesh so that we can be saved from our sins and have a relationship with God, all of us? We are like those shepherds. We are too dirty, too impure, and too sinful to come to God on our own. We need a Savior, and God has sent us one. That was the very message that God gave to those shepherds that night. God came to them. A Savior has been born unto you in the city of David. But the Bible says that these shepherds were terrified by the sight of the angel of the Lord. They were sore afraid, the King James says. Literally, it says they were afraid with great fear, mega fear. You remember last week we talked about mega joy. Well, this would be, I suppose, the opposite of that. It's mega fear. They were greatly afraid. They were not just startled, but greatly afraid. And there is a difference between the two to be startled or to be afraid. For example, uh, in the horror movies, they 
they get you feeling pretty relaxed, pretty comfortable, and then all of a sudden a cat jumps out of nowhere and scares the daylights out of everybody in the theater until they realize, oh, it's just the cat. They call that a jump scare in the parlance of the movies. Or like the, the night I got up in the middle of a dark moonless night to go visit the restroom and slid very quietly out of the bed so as not to wake up my wife, got into the bedroom, trying not to, uh, the bathroom, trying not to get too awake myself when suddenly I hear the voice of my wife from right here saying, I'm in here. <laughs> I said, no, you're not. You're in there in the bed where I left you. I wasn't going to get back to sleep after that, I can tell you. I used that illustration once in my last church, and after the service, one of the deacon's wives came through the line, and she said, that's nothing. One night I got up to go into the bathroom in the dark and sat down right in my husband's lap. <laughs> I had to admit, she had me beat. The point is, we are not afraid of kitty cats or our loved ones, our spouses, or shouldn't be anyway. We might be frightened by them, we might be startled by them, but we're not ultimately afraid of them. But these shepherds were greatly afraid. And it wasn't because they thought the angel was a ghost or an apparition of some sort. There's no indication in the text that they thought the angel was a, a ghost. In fact, it's on the contrary. The Bible is very careful to point out that this was an angel of the Lord. And the brilliant light that surrounded them in the night was the glory of the Lord. So I'm convinced they were terrified because that's the natural response of sinful men in the presence of the holiness of God. That's what had them terrified. You remember Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he was called. The, he got to see the holiness of God and Isaiah's response was to cry out, Woe is me! I am a man of unclean lips. We see our sin in greatest clarity when we understand and see the holiness of God Himself. These shepherds were scared down to their socks, likely because they thought the judgment of Almighty God was about to descend on them in fire and fury. They knew that's what they deserved. It's what we all deserve if we're wise enough to recognize it. But much to their surprise, the angel told them not to be afraid. He said he had good news. Salvation has come, not judgment. You've been saved. God has sent you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Because, you see, God doesn't want you to be lost. God doesn't want you to perish in your sins. God loves you. He wants to save you. And Jesus Himself said as much in that great passage in John chapter 3. 
God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's good news of great joy. So why are we so afraid to tell people that good news? Why don't we share it as we should? We ought to be telling people that God loves them, and loves them just as they are, not as they ought to be or think they ought to be. We don't really have to tell them they're sinners. They're like these shepherds. They know that already instinctively, even if they aren't willing to admit it. Even if they've denied it so long that their consciences have become calloused. Even if they have tried to normalize their sin to get everyone else to, to approve it and bless it. They still know, deep down, that they are sinful people. Here's how it works. People know instinctively that there is a God. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, God has set eternity in the hearts of men. He's given us the capacity to comprehend and to recognize that, that this is not all there is, that there is more beyond. Eternity is in our hearts. By nature, God has placed it there. We know there is a God instinctively, and as Pastor Richard Jackson used to say, there are very few true atheists, down to their core, very few. He likes to quote the old general of the former Soviet Union who said, We have rid the people of the false notion of a supreme being, and I thank God for it. <laughs> now, there are folks who call themselves humanists who reason that because children die in natural disasters, then the universe therefore does not have competent moral management. And so they must become the superintendents of their own lives. They define humanism as being good without God. But reason, properly employed, affirms the existence of God, who in turn serves as a necessary foundation for truly ethical behavior. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. So, most people know instinctively that there is a God. They know that this God is holy, unlike them. They know that they are not, so they assume that God is mad at them. That God is waiting to, to descend on them in judgment and fire and fury. And too many Christians, unfortunately, seem to be trying to reinforce that assumption and push those people farther away from God than they already are. But in fact, God is desperate to communicate His love for them, all of them no matter who they are, no matter what they have done. If He were not, He would never have sent His only begotten Son to die in order to accomplish it. God is desperate for you to know how much He loves you, how much He has already done for you, if you will accept that gift He offers. That's why God 
first shared his good news with these shepherds. The last and the least. You know, Jesus said in the Gospels, if you remember, if you know, the last will be first and the first will be last. He said that twice in the Gospel of Matthew, once in the Gospel of Luke. We have an example of it right here as the last become first. Of all people, God spoke to shepherds in order to communicate that the good news of salvation is for all people, as it says in verse 10. Good news of great joy which will be for all the people. No matter who, no matter what, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, kings and paupers, whatever your status or station in life, the gospel is for you. No one is too good for it. And no one is beyond its reach. And God goes to great lengths to try to communicate that. That became very glaringly apparent to me about 25 years ago. When God took me 6,000 miles east and He brought a Chinese man from Beijing 4,000 miles west so that we could meet on the street in downtown Kiev, Ukraine, so this Oklahoma country boy could tell that Chinese man from Beijing how much God loves him and wants to save him. I was over there with a group of pastors. We were teaching some, some ministerial students, and one morning, I believe it was Saturday morning, we went out on the streets in the, in the city center of Kiev, we had uh, Gospels in, in their language. We were passing them out, starting conversations. And I was stopped by this Chinese man. And he was speaking English. Uh, not perfectly, of course, but trying. And, and he heard us speaking English and wanted to engage in conversation. And I happened to have an English New Testament in my pocket. I began to tell him how much God loved him. And I opened that English Testament. And I pointed to John 3.16 for him to read. And he read it out loud as I ran my finger across those words. And in that moment, that surreal kind of moment, it dawned on me what God was doing. That he had brought me there. He had brought that man there. An Oklahoma country boy with a man from Beijing reading John 3.16 in English. You tell me that God can't get His message to those He needs to hear it. God loves us. He wants us to know that. He goes to great lengths to communicate it. In ways we can't even begin to know. God moved heaven and earth that first Christmas to get our redemption underway. To get that started. And the first ones to hear the news were a bunch of shepherds out in the fields in the middle of the night. Those on the very last rung of the social ladder were privileged to be the very first to hear the glorious good news that would change the destiny of humankind forever. God did it for all the reasons that we have already mentioned, but perhaps for one other. A very significant reason, I think. It may have been these very shepherds 
who tended the lambs for sacrifice in the temple in Jerusalem. The temple authorities had their own private flocks that were pastured near Bethlehem. Would it not be appropriate that the shepherds who tended the lambs prepared for temple sacrifice for the sins of the people should be the first to hear the news of the birth of the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world? Wouldn't that be just like God? Who better than shepherds to hear that God's Lamb had been born? So how did these shepherds respond to the good news of great joy for all people? They took the angel at his word. They went to check it out. They went to see if they could find this Christ child. Verse 15, they say, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And everything, the Bible says, was just as they had been told in verse 20. Our faith is evidence-based, friends. It is not some blind leap, as so many like to portray it. Everything was just as they had been told. And so they went out and they spread the word. They told everyone the good news of the Savior's birth. They went out and, 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 and told, spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They spread the word, and so should we, that the Savior has come into the world, that God loves all of us, that He wants to save us, that He has acted to save us. So if these shepherds, the, the last and the least of all the people on earth at that time, if these shepherds were included in Christmas, then so are you. All of us. The good news of salvation is for you. God has delivered His message. How you receive it is up to you. Whether you choose to do it as these shepherds did, they heard it, they checked it out, they saw it was as they'd been told, they believed it, and they praised God for it. That's how they responded. How are you going to respond? Maybe you're somewhere along that spectrum. You've, you've heard it, certainly now. Or maybe you've done that, now you're checking it out. Maybe you're just now recognizing that it's true. Can you praise God for it? Can you put your trust in it? Can you let the Savior of Bethlehem become your Savior and the Lord of your life this Christmas? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what glorious good news came to those shepherds that night. Lord, that good news has come to us in this place this Christmas day, Christmas Eve. And I pray, God, we have heard it, that it has penetrated our hearts and our minds, that we have checked it out or will determine to, that we will have the good sense to recognize that it's true, that everything we've been told 
has come to pass just as your word proclaimed it. I pray, God, God, that we might trust in Jesus as our Savior and give you the praise and the glory that you deserve for loving us and saving us. Make it so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing.